morning, everyone. Good to see you. Nice to be back with you. Thank you for organising the sunshine. We're going to read a chapter or part of a chapter this morning in Joshua chapter 2 as we continue our studies in this great man's life. And we're brought or introduced to this woman, Rahab. And we're going to read from the first verse of Joshua chapter 2. The words will be on the screen behind me. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. Now you'll notice an alternative reading, which is given at the bottom of your NIV, if you've got it. And it says, innkeeper. That is a gloss. The word which is used of Rahab here, always uh, in Hebrew and in Scripture, means harlots. It means what it says. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this, sorry, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion, the dog, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts sank and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the man assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. And this evening, God willing, we'll look at the next portion of this remarkable scripture that we have before us. There are passages which you read in scripture And you can think to yourself, well, why on earth is that there? Why on earth are we introduced to this woman who is a woman of the street, whose name is Rahab? 
Why should she make this apparent random appearance in the whole of Scripture? Why should so much be devoted to her? Why is her story here at all? Let me uh, just give a little bit of background, if I may, from Jewish tradition, which I just came across this week. It is rumored and taught by the rabbis that one of the spies who was hidden by Rahab on the roof of her home was called Salmon. Now let's turn to Matthew chapter 1, just for a moment. Matthew chapter 1. If you haven't got the scripture, don't worry, and I'll read it to you. This is the genealogy of the Lord Jesus. From the time of Abram. I'm going to read from verse 2 of Matthew 1. Abram was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashbon, Nashbon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. I'm sure you've read those words many times before. Two names in there you should note. Tamar, who it's not my uh, subject to look at this morning, but something which is very enlightening in relation to the genealogy of the Lord Jesus. And Rahab and Ruth, Ruth who is known as the Moabites, a Gentile woman, and Rahab, who had this colourful background that I've already mentioned. We've been singing three songs, and I know Ray chose them deliberately to point up the, the fact that each of them talked about the grace of God. The fact that you and I should be part of the Lord's family is immense. Why would it ever bother with a rascal like me who, as I've said before many times, was thieving from shops in Newtonards when I was six years old? And why he should break into my life when I was eight years old, I have no idea. Why should not the grace of God extend to Rahab? If God's grace be so great and his mercy so stupendous, why shouldn't he reach to each of our hearts tonight, to this morning, or tonight, even if we don't know him yet? Because grace is that which is undeserved. Grace is that which is impossible to demand. But grace is that which brings us to an experience of the God of glory. That such a one should become part of the line of the Messiah, the Son of God manifest in flesh. What grace.
Rahab's mentioned more frequently in the New Testament than Joshua. I let you research. I know that Roy and Judith will probably do this for me for for next Sunday, but I let you research the other mentions we have of Rahab in the New Testament. Quite remarkable. She shelters the spies. She hides them on the roof. She lies to her king, none of which are really condonable. Yet somehow the Lord overlooks such things. He overlooks our lying. He overlooks the things that we hide when we come to him and seek his forgiveness through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. He deals with them in Christ. But by his grace, he covers them in your life and mine. Their sins and their iniquities, the book says, I will remember no more. Isn't that terrific? I want to break into this story, particularly at verse 9, and just look at two or three verses as we come to our meditation this morning. You'll notice in verse 9 that Rahab makes a number of statements, and I wonder if I may just to concentrate here. I know that the Lord has given this land to you. I know that the Lord has given you this land. Hold on a minute, Rahab. You're in the most powerful city in the land of Canaan. You're of the tribe of the Amorites. You practice child sacrifice. You give your babies to the god Molech, and they're burned at his feet. You live in the most powerful city in Canaan. It's said that the walls were tall enough that they were a minimum of 13 meters. And they were the same width in places as their height. It was, from the point of view of man, an impregnable place. And yet here's a woman who says, I know that the Lord has given you this land. It's interesting how often pagan folk have a far greater idea than some Christians of who God really is. You know, we, we tend to limit our God to our perspective of him. And if you and I truly recognize that he holds the planets in his hands, and that the heavens declare the glory of God, and that our breath was in his hand, and that he shapes our lives according to his wider purpose, and that one day he's going to take us to glory, and that one day we're going to continue to rejoice ongoingly in discovering the majesty of who he is, then surely as Christians we should be far greater in our testimony as to who the Lord is in our experience. I know that the Lord has given you this land. And then he says this, and I find this most interesting. A great fear of you has fallen on us. All who live in this country are melting in fear of you. We have heard. What have you heard, Rahab? How the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. 
when you came out of Egypt. Hold on a minute, Rahab, that's 40 years ago. Now we've heard about it. You see, you and I need to share our ongoing experience of the Lord, not just from 40 years ago. But obviously 40 years ago was different for many of us. And those of us who came to faith a lot longer ago than that, raised 60 years ago, myself 65 years ago. You know, you have, a, you have a history. We have a history with the Lord. And he wants us to share that history with men and women, not in any falsehood, but that they might recognize the majesty of our God in our personal lives. We have heard what God has done. We recognize that he is with you. And for someone to dry up the waters of the Red Sea. You know, when I went to college, people tried to tell me that this was the Reed Sea. And if the wind blew strong enough and it wasn't very deep, it was possible that the Lord would open a way ahead of it, a way ahead of the Israelites. What, what garbage, you know. If God be not great enough to open the waters of the Red Sea, and later on in this history we're looking at to open the waters of the River Jordan in the time of flood, then our God is not God. You understand? You and I have to preach the God that the Bible teaches, the one that we know. We can't lessen him. We lessen him in our peril. One of the reasons we're in the quagmire that we're in in our society in Britain today is because we don't acknowledge the majesty and glory of God. Make him less than he is. Make him some sort of puppet some sort of available, who is not God, who is God of creation and glory. And we need to get back to first principles. I'm going to talk to the, the men I'm responsible for preaching on the 18th of September. Value your prayer for, prayers for that day at the Evangelist Conference in Bristol. And I'm convinced that one of the things we need to emphasize and re-emphasize is the majesty and glory of the Christ that we worship. We lessen him at our peril. The importance of testimony. We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when he came out of Egypt. And what you did to two of our kings, Sion and Og. And you can have a look at that in the book of Numbers. Not our subject for this morning. What, what's the teaching? It's this, I would judge. The people of God walking with God in obedience to him will have an impact on the people who do not yet know him. What made the impact on Cameron? Mark talking about the God of creation. You know, it's not about gullibility. I want to tell you a story uh, about a a fellow who's not a Christian. He's a scientist. And he was analyzing some bones of, you may have heard this story, it's made two small paragraphs in the Times. You need to read a decent newspaper sometime. And this guy, a scientist, and he was analyzing these bones and he discovered soft tissue within the marrow of the bones of this particular um, dinosaur that is supposed to have been dead for 60 million years. Now there's a physical impossibility for something that's been dead for 60 years, for the bones not to be completely atrophied or petrified. So he discovered this soft tissue and he printed it in a scientific document which was published. And it caused uproar in the scientific population. Because if it be true 
that this particular bone has soft tissue in it and it has been scientifically proven to be true, then it is impossible for the dinosaur to have died 60 million years ago. It is impossible for the dinosaur to have died 5 million years ago. It is almost impossible for the dinosaur to have died more than 5,000 years ago. You see where this is going, don't you? And because it hits at the very basis of the analysis of evolution, scientific journals have refused to publish follow-up papers in relation to this discovery. That is the dishonesty of the society of which we are part. Let God be true and every man a liar, the scripture says. Here's Rahab. I have heard how the Lord opened the water of the Red Sea for you. For us. Israeli rascals, yes. But God is our God. And he's opened up the way for us. So their hearts fear. A great fear of you has fallen on us, all who live in this country. Melting in fear because of you, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when Kennedy came out of Egypt, what you did to Sion and Og, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts sank and everyone's courage failed because of you. And here's the phrase. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Do you believe that? Don't look so pleased about it. The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Our hearts sank because we realize who the Lord is. It came to us from our own experience and our own hearing that the God whom you worship is the God who is God. He's demonstrated it. And, you know, this personal history that she's reiterating here to the spies is demonstrating that this woman has come to a realization in her personal life that she's got to make some sort of response to this. Now, let's pause a moment. Forty years since the Lord opened the waters of the Red Sea. So when Israel had arrived at the borders of Canaan 40 years earlier, God had already prepared the way for them to enter the land because the people were scared stiff. Whenever Joshua and Caleb come back, they use a phrase when they're reporting to Moses and the children of Israel 40 years earlier. When they come back, they say this. They use a phrase which could be translated, their shadows have deserted them. They're so afraid that even their shadows are running away, you know, before they run away. But they didn't believe, and they didn't enter. And a generation lost their way. And the scripture says of them that they wandered in the wilderness. Now the Lord was gracious, fed them every day with fresh bread from his, from his kitchen. He brought water to them in a the wilderness. But they never experienced that which God had laid up for them. The generation was lost, and everyone younger than 20, and everyone older than 20, perished in the wilderness, except for Caleb and Joshua. So God continues his testimony. 
And whenever these spies go back and report to Joshua what has happened, the immediate reaction is, well, let's do it. Let's go forward with the Lord. Let's step into his purpose. Let's follow the Ark of the Covenant, this visible symbol of the presence of God. Let's follow wherever he leads. And that's our calling, my brothers and sisters. Those of us who are are Christians this morning, we are called to follow him wherever he leads. And the valleys may be dark, but he's there in the valley. You know, the Philistines said later in Scripture that God was God, of the valley, uh, God was God of the hills, but he wasn't God of the valleys. And they discovered in the valley of Elah, whenever Goliath was killed, that God was God of the valleys, just as he wasn't God of the hills. But somehow or other, every generation of Christians has to rediscover it. I can follow the Lord wherever he leads. I sometimes try to go ahead of him, and I lose my way. I sometimes hang so far back that I feel out of touch with him. What he wants me to do, what he wants you to do, is to take step by step with him each day. Because he is who he is. He he is never lessened. Oh, that we we could grasp this in a new way. You know, to to be ready for anything that the Lord made clear for us to do. You know those wee whispers you get now and again? And you think to yourself, I really must phone so-and-so. And Jill's going to tell me off afterwards because I've been saying something to her this week. And she's told me twice to do it, and I haven't. But, you know, when you get that prompting, you need to do it. Don't say, I'll do it tomorrow or I'll do it next week. Or, do it now. I don't mean you all go out now, but... you. Know, <laughs> Whenever you get the next opportunity, just do what the Lord's saying to you to do. Because Rahab's testimony here is absolutely clear-cut. I know because I've heard. I know that the Lord will give you this land. But you're not even across the border yet. But I know that the Lord will give you this land because of what he has done. And oh, that you and I could really grasp this afresh in in a real way, in heavens above, on the earth below. So the wilderness years could have been avoided if if the Israelites and their God had matched the faith of the Canaanites and Israel's God. You know, the pagans believed more than the Israelites did. And so often I find that the case. So God had brought them out of Egypt. Most of us remember, to some degree, the period of time during which we came to the Lord. Some of us could date a day. Some of us could remember a week or two when we were conscious of the Lord dealing with us. Some of us have a consciousness, if we were converted very young, of never really having at a time when we didn't believe. We sort of grew into faith. And it's been my privilege during the years to know men and women for that experience to be real in all of those instances. But we need to move on from our conversion, brothers and sisters. And we need to move on from our last experience. And we need to say to the Lord, where are you going to take me today? What am I going to learn of you today? What am I going to hear of you today? What new areas of trust am I going to have to bring into my life? 
things that I've never experienced before. How can I know the reality of your presence in that? Help me to trust, you know. Help me to trust. I never thought about preaching like this 65 years after I came to Christ. But it's what it's about. Whenever you come to Hebrews 11, I think it's verse 31, and you read of Rahab, you know what the writer of the Hebrews talks about? He talks about, by faith, Rahab. By faith, Rahab hid the spies. In other words, she had already come to an awareness of this great God. And because of that, in his mercy, God draws, us into the, draws her into the line of the Messiah. You and I don't have a brief of where we stand in the ongoing purpose of God and, and what eternally will bring to us. But we know that this God whom we have trusted and as we continue to trust him and who one day through death will deliver us into his presence, we know that the best is yet to be. You don't look very pleased about that either. But it is, you know. It hasn't entered into the heart of man to think that God has prepared for them and love him. And I know I'm going home. I used to sing a song when I was a lot younger. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. I didn't really believe it. I was really enjoying life. Still do. But it is true. I'm going on. Going elsewhere. The Lord has got my future determined. No idea what it is in detail. But I tell you something, I'm really looking forward to it. The Lord calls us to testify The Lord calls us to tell others about him as opportunity presents. The Lord calls us to recognize his immediacy. I know the Lord has given you this land. And we'll discover a little more this evening in relation to Rahab's experience of the Lord in her life. Let's just give thanks together, shall we? Father, we pray that your word may have come to us with some emphasis this morning from yourself. Ask in your mercy and your grace that you will apply it to each of our lives, whether we were preaching or listening or not listening. That you'll just bring your word back to us afresh. We thank you for Rahab. Thank you for the grace and mercy which is so evident in her life. That as she recognized your hand amongst the Israelites, she came to trust you. And in trusting you, she found salvation. And we recognize from later chapters in Joshua that her name is still numbered amongst Israel to this very day. We do reflect on this, Lord, and we ask that you'll help us to be worthy of our calling, to walk worthy of the calling that we've received in Christ. You'll help us to talk about him as and when we have opportunity. You'll help us not to be ashamed of the gospel. You help us to recognize its import and glory. And as we do that, we pray that others may be drawn to him. In his most worthy name we pray. Amen.